Dart smacked that asteroid. Now what? We'll find out this week on Planetary Radio. Welcome. I'm Matt Kaplan of the Planetary Society with more of the human adventure across our solar system and beyond. DART, the double asteroid redirection test, was a brilliant success. No one is happier about this than Lindley Johnson and Kelly Fast of NASA's Planetary Defense Coordination Office. But Lindley and Kelly will tell us that we're not yet where we need to be to avoid a catastrophic impact on our world. Bruce Betts will have much to say about the November sky when we join him for this week's What's Up. The interstellar dust does not spell out Surrender Dorothy, but the green cloud otherwise looks like it could be the work of a wicked witch, and that's why it topped the Halloween edition of our free weekly newsletter, The Downlink. Down below is the Hubble Space Telescope's image of asteroid Dimorphos with dual trailing tails. They are the result of the DART impact. Think it's hot outside? Probably not as hot as an exoplanet dubbed GJ1252b. How hot? Gold and silver would melt into pools on its surface. That's based on data from the Spitzer Space Telescope. As always, there's much more in store at planetary.org downlink. Remember that you can leave a message welcoming incoming Planetary Radio host Sarah Alamed and or saying goodbye to me using our new toll-free number, 844-PLANRAD. Thank you once again to all of you who have already emailed me so many wonderful messages at planetaryradio at planetary.org. By the way, Sarah and I talk about a couple of job openings at the Planetary Society and about the water on Mars in the deluxe version of this week's show at planetary.org radio and in our podcast. Lindley Johnson and Kelly Fast have been my guests many times. Lindley is NASA's Planetary Defense Officer and the lead program executive for the Planetary Defense Coordination Office, created by the agency nearly seven years ago. His colleague Kelly manages the Near-Earth Object Observations Program, that is also part of the PDCO. The success of DART led me to inviting them back for a discussion that puts this test in the much broader context of an international effort to save our planet from the space rock that will someday threaten to do to us what one did to the dinosaurs 66 million years ago. Lindley and Kelly, welcome back to Planetary Radio. You know, we, we've been following the DART mission very closely. I was able to uh, congratulate Nancy Shabo, uh, the coordination lead for the mission, and the entire team just hours after the impact. And we ran a lot of that live coverage uh, on uh, the show that just came a couple of days later. But this is my first opportunity to congratulate the two of you and the Planetary Defense Coordination Office, because you have received great credit, your office, from that team, from all of the people that we have been talking to about planetary defense. So uh, thank you for this leadership, which uh, who knows, may someday just uh, just save the world. Thanks a lot, Matt. Uh, and uh, as I always like to say, planetary defense is a team sport. It takes uh, expertise, uh, guidance and uh, contributions from a wide uh, range of folks for the DART mission, as you're aware, that's uh, uh, not only a 
a U.S. team, but an international team that has worked on that project and continues to finish it up now with the international observations that are going on. And I'm going to come back to that international angle across all of planetary defense. How about those images? And I'm not just talking about the DART images before impact, but all the other beautiful ones, including from, speaking of international, in Lichia uh, Cube. Well, all of them, the, the whole experience was amazing. I must say that even as we were watching the DART images come in, the views of Didymos and Dimorphos before the impact, we couldn't help but sit there analyzing what we were seeing, comparing to what we knew prior to that, uh, uh, getting to see those details. I mean, there was the planetary defense aspect, but certainly just the fact to be able to get to know some other small bodies in the solar system, looking at Dimorphos, the, the rubble on the surface, wondering what type of uh, uh, impact there might be. Would there be a plume? And looking at that, it was like, oh my goodness, there's going to be a plume. And then, as you said, those images afterwards from Lichia Cube, from the ground-based telescopes, uh, like from the Atlas telescope that we, we fund, just those beautiful plume images, incredible data for planetary defense, but just so exciting, you know, just from a science and a public perspective to, uh, uh, to, to get to experience this. We have uh, that Hubble captured image with those double tails. My gosh, did, did did we create a comet? That that's really going too far, isn't it? I was an attendee for the uh, Division for Planetary Sciences meeting remotely, and I I remember one presenter mentioning active asteroids, and then saying, "By the way, we just created another active asteroid." <laughs> <laughs> Lindley, I during the live coverage, I don't know if you know it, but I saw you in the background in some of the shots there at APL, Johns Hopkins University Applied Physics Lab. Not surprising to see you there. Well, that's where I like to be in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, where were you on that amazing day? Oh, boy, I, I had a small part in the um, impact broadcast answering a few questions. And then when that was done, I rushed over to the guest event and watched with everybody else on some of the screens that were there at APL. And so so I was just uh, enjoying with them. But then Lindley was there in the uh, Mission Operations Center watching firsthand. I wish I had been there, you know, along with our boss, the science guy. It, it looked like uh, it looked like quite a party for uh, for planetary defense. Yeah, I saw Bill Bill there. He was having a good time. Oh, yeah. He knows how to have fun. In my newsletter, I said that we now know that we have the ability to avoid the fate of the dinosaurs. Lindley, was, is that a premature statement or are we now close to that? Well, um, maybe a bit uh, premature, but we have uh, successfully demonstrated that a technique uh, like a kinetic impactor can have a, an effect on the velocity of an asteroid, change its speed, and therefore will be able to change its orbit. I, I think there's uh, uh, some yet to understand about uh, everything we'd like to about that interaction. You know, we were pretty confident <laughs> that uh, uh, this was going to happen, but until you actually do something uh, like this, you never know how exactly it's going to turn out. And I think I think there are a, a few uh, things in addition that we will learn about this with uh, closer examination of all the data that uh, the investigation team is getting now. Anxiously await their report out of how successful they think they were and what things uh, maybe they didn't expect. 
I was actually surprised by how quickly we were told after the fact that sure enough, DART had done what we had hoped, not just impacting, but deflecting the course of this uh, this little moonlit asteroid. Was that something that, that you folks expected to hear so soon and that it would be such a dramatic change? Well, I know that uh, the team had calculated kind of a wide range of period changes that would be possible, you know, all based on physics. So it was all reasonable, uh, but it ended up being towards the higher end, which was great. And so that that allowed them, you know, with confidence to come forward earlier uh, to brief NASA headquarters so that every, everybody, you know, felt comfortable with this and uh, to go ahead and come out with uh, uh, these results based on the light curve data and also based on on radar having uh, different techniques confirming each other and so uh, so it wasn't outside of the realm of possibility but uh, it was it was nice to be able to come out and, and say something uh, even sooner than uh, conservatively planned yeah part of the reason for that is that uh, the after impact uh, observations were uh, better uh, um, more successful in uh, being able to collect the data than we thought they might be after the impact. So uh, we thought it might be a week or so before there was enough clearing of the ejecta and such that uh, reliable optical observations could be taken. But uh, that turned out not to be true. Uh, some of the Southern Hemisphere observatories were able to uh, get pretty clean uh, light curve data in that first week. You know, Then the uh, other major con contribution there was uh, the radar. Goldstone uh, radar. We uh, didn't actually know how successful that was that was going to be. First of all, whether the radar would even be available that quickly for various reasons, uh, maintenance being being one of them. Uh, that seventy meter dish is getting pretty old. Uh, also, it's it's uh, scheduling because that uh, radio antenna you know gets used for for all of our interplanetary communications. Uh, so yeah. scheduling that asset is uh, is a real challenge uh, sometimes. Doesn't this also, the fact that we had this data back from largely ground-based facilities so quickly, doesn't this also say something about how much more sophisticated we have become in observing uh, objects like this? Well, yes, we, uh, I mean, as you know, there's such a, a large population of small bodies out there, and that's why we have a planetary defense at NASA and trying to to track them to know if any pose an impact threat and also fantastic science targets. But as we learn each time, you know, they're, they're, we keep learning there's more to learn and they're all individual. They're part of uh, populations and families, but they have their personalities. And so having these close up uh, observations are really helpful for better understanding our uh, remote observations like light curves, like radar, like spectroscopy, all the things that we can do from the ground because we can't send spacecraft to all of them. But to be able to have spacecraft at some to understand their properties and to tie that into what we're able to do from the ground and to better understand the ground-based data, that will really help us to better characterize the larger population of asteroids out there, which is especially important for planetary defense and um, understanding what could potentially happen in the event of an impact. You also remind me of all that stuff that's coming back uh, from Bennu very soon now, uh, and uh, all those scientists who can't wait to get their hands on uh, 
that material collected by Osiris Rex. Lindley, speaking of needing more data, we have this one data point now from an impact, unless you go back to deep impact a lot of years ago, which really wasn't sent to do this. It's a great data point, but I mean, wouldn't it be great to have data from maybe five or 10 more DART type missions impacting different kinds of asteroids to, to really teach us what we need to know? Well, sure. Uh, you know, if you had uh, unlimited resources or <laughs> any, any number of things uh, that, you'd, uh, uh, that you'd like to do. You know, yeah, this is one data point, so to speak, uh, but uh, I think it's a pretty uh, rich uh, data point. Uh, and I think there will be kinetic impact tests uh, done uh, in the future. I think there are a few other priorities that we have in planetary defense uh, first, though. And of course, the, the first one is we need to improve our capabilities uh, for finding these objects and knowing where they are and where they're going. So the next highest priority of planetary defense mission is the NEO surveyor, getting that, that capability on its way to the launch pad and into operation so that we have uh, uh, time uh, to find these things uh, well ahead of time. Every year uh, that a capability like that uh, slips is a one less year that we might have if there were an asteroid on its way to Earth. So that is our highest priority thing. Also, as Kelly was saying, uh, our ability to observe these things and, and learn about their character from the ground is, is improving uh, more and more. Uh, every time we do these kinds of things, it's very much an iterative process, but uh, there's still uh, nothing as good as uh, actually getting a spacecraft out there to, to look at it and do a more up-close examination so that uh, we know uh, what we're dealing with. So as the uh, planetary science decadal says, another priority is uh, a rapid reconnaissance capability. If we do find a asteroid on its way to Earth, uh, we don't have a lot of time. Uh, we're still talking several years, but but perhaps not decades. Being able to get out there fairly quickly to get a look at it prior to deciding what is going to be the best technique uh, that could be used uh, against it to uh, change its uh, trajectory. And so that also gets into uh, some other things uh, that we want to try to do, and that is kinetic impactor You know, may uh, be one tool that we uh, will not have in our toolbox uh, if we're ever faced with uh, such a threat. We'd like to have uh, two or three tools because in our studies of this, uh, it all really depends on the scenario, what might be the best way uh, to interact with the asteroid and, and change its orbit. Uh, so testing some other techniques, I think, would be higher on our agenda than doing another kinetic impact test. I think we will eventually get back to that as we sustain our planetary defense efforts but uh, we should test some other techniques like a gravity tractor or mm. an ion beam deflection. There are some other ideas out there as well that we should take a look at. Just last week on the show, I had Melissa Brucker, Principal Investigator for Space Watch, Eric Christensen, same job for the Catalina Sky Survey. They both told me how much they are looking forward to the launch of that spacecraft you just mentioned, NEO Surveyor, uh, the mission led by their University of Arizona colleague, good friend of this show, Amy Meinzer. Uh, as you know, Planetary Society is big proponent of, of this project and so excited to see it moving forward. Unfortunately, I didn't get to visit Amy while I was at the University of Arizona. 
timing was wrong. She was at JPL for a major mission uh, development review. So I didn't get to see the camera that's coming out of her lab. At the risk of <laughs> boring some listeners who've heard this many times before, would the two of you talk about why it's so important we get this infrared telescope out there in space? Well, I'll lead off and kick to Lindley that, uh, as you said, you spoke to uh, uh, Melissa and Eric and about the efforts to find and follow up uh, asteroid discoveries and and our ground-based efforts. They're, they're doing a fantastic job and they're racking up discoveries every year and they're doing their best to really optimize how they're doing it to be most effective and to do it as quickly as possible, but they still have limitations and uh, have to wait for the asteroids to kind of come close enough to be discovered. So really everybody, you know, the community over the years keeps uh, looking at, you know, how do we speed this up? And the planetary decadal and previous decadal uh, or rather uh, academy studies and other reports kept pointing to the need for a space-based infrared telescope. And so to actually see this coming together is really encouraging because that that would be the way to really accelerate uh, efforts to find near-Earth asteroids to better understand their sizes and to maybe see the populations that are harder to see from the ground. And so to have NeoSurveyor in concert with the ground-based telescopes, that's going to be really powerful. And as Lindley noted earlier, the, the longer we wait, the more of a chance there might be something out there that we're going to lose the lead time on. And so uh, it's so important to keep moving forward with this. There is no quicker way to get a full handle on the population of hazardous objects that are out there than a space-based uh, IR telescope specifically designed to do this job. Uh, there have been several studies uh, over the last decade that confirm that. Also, the most recent planetary decadal survey reinforces that point as well. NeoSurveyor is designed from the ground up to do this job and do it uh, relatively quickly, even though it, was still, it will still take about 10 years mm. uh, for all of the objects that, that, that could represent a hazard to the Earth to come uh, within uh, viewing range because you know, these orbits uh, wander all over the solar system, uh, so to speak. You know, their, their orbital paths are defined, but uh, they are all over uh, the solar system, at least between here and, and Jupiter. So uh, it takes a number of years for them to come in close enough into Earth's vicinity for us to, uh, to pick them all up. You know, last year, I very much enjoyed having the writer, director, producer Adam McKay on our show. Uh, he, of course, made that uh, what I think was a terrific movie, Don't Look Up. He was joined by Amy Meinzer, who the two of you know well. We've already mentioned uh, she was the, the science advisor to that production. And I, I just want to congratulate you on being played so well by the actor Rob Morgan in that movie. Yeah, I thought he did a fantastic job as well. And he was one of the few characters that came off looking pretty good he <laughs> in did. the whole fiasco of that movie. So I was uh, happy about that. I, I don't think that there has been in the history of this planetary defense effort uh, anything quite as visible uh, in the popular media as that movie, even though that movie, the director will tell you, was not really about planetary defense, but they did a pretty good job, didn't they? Yeah, well, uh, they did a pretty good job of spoofing just about everybody. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, that's the most recent, that's the most recent example, certainly, but uh, I, Cosmic Impact, Asteroid Common Impact, it's been a 
genre of science fiction uh, since its uh, its very start, uh, almost. And yeah. so there have been a number of movies uh, over over the years. Uh, maybe not everybody remembers Armageddon and Deep Impact, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> certainly uh, certainly our generation does. They should remember Deep Impact, maybe not Armageddon. Uh, well, Arm Armageddon had a great soundtrack. <laughs> I like the soundtrack, anyway. But uh, I like the movies uh, all the way back to uh, the movie Meteor back in the late uh, the late sixties. Which I'll say, I'll, I'll throw this in there because Lindley won't. Uh, uh, in the, in the movie Meteor, Sean Connery played him. So, <laughs> and that's even before it, you know. <laughs> Planetary defense officer existed, so uh. I'll go back even further. Uh, when worlds collide, which I actually read the book before I saw the movie. You're right, I guess this is a a, a genre in uh, filmmaking. Well, let's hope that it stays in the uh, area of filmmaking. The disasters that these often depict. And we can thank the two of you, the PDCO, and this worldwide effort. Uh, if we are able to avoid that fate that is uh, depicted in so many of those movies. Just one other question for you. Uh, the next Planetary Defense Conference is coming up in uh, spring of 2023 in Vienna. Will I see either or both of you there? Well, uh, hopefully, if, uh, if, the, uh, if all the asteroids align, <laughs> you'll see both of us there. <laughs> Thank you both very much. It has been a great pleasure to talk to you yet again on Planetary Radio. Thanks for all the uh, uh, great work that you're doing. Keep looking up. Absolutely. Thank you, Matt. Planetary Defense Coordination Office Lead Program Executive Lindley Johnson is also NASA's Planetary Defense Officer. Kelly Fast is the agency's Near-Earth Object Observations Program Manager. Want more defensive conversation? Check out this week's podcast that is also at planetary.org slash radio where we've got great links to everything Lindley, Kelly, and I talked about. Back with Bruce in a minute here on Planetary Radio. There's so much going on in the world of space science and exploration, and we're here to share it with you. Hi, I'm Sarah, Digital Community Manager for the Planetary Society. Want more space? We've got the latest news, pretty planetary pictures, and Planetary Society publications on our social media channels. You can find the Planetary Society on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. I hope you'll like and subscribe so you never miss the next exciting update from the world of planetary science. Hello, I'm George Takei, and as you know, I'm very proud of my association with Star Trek. Star Trek was a show that looked to the future with optimism, boldly going where no one had gone before. I want you to know about a very special organization called the Planetary Society. They are working to make the future that Star Trek represents a reality. Boldly go to build our future. It's time for What's Up on Planetary Radio, and we have the chief scientist of the Planetary Society to walk us through it. Welcome, Bruce Betts. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. From Laura Dodd in California. You're awesome too, Bruce. Please don't announce your retirement just so you could get some of the love lavished on Matt. Oh, thanks to you, Laura. I won't. <laughs> I'll be here. I'll be here with Sarah pining for whatever that guy's name was who used to be the host. How soon they forget. And I'm not retiring. How many times do I have to say it? I am leaving behind being host. Go on to what's up. 
Okay, so in the sky, we got a bunch of stuff. Jupiter and Saturn in the south in the early evening or southeast. The moon is hanging out between them from the 2nd to the 4th of November. On the 4th, it's hanging out near Jupiter. We've got reddish Mars rising in the mid-evening, and it's very bright, very bright, spectacular. We'll continue to brighten all month as Earth and Mars grow closer in their orbits. We move on to this week in space history, 1973, the launch of Mariner 10. First mission to go hang out at two planets, uh, studying Venus, and uh, the first and only for a few decades to study Mercury up close. Till Messenger got there. On to random space fact. Ganymede is the largest moon in the solar system, but you knew that. Did you know that even though it's the largest moon in the solar system, more than 14 Ganymedes would fit inside the Earth? No reason for us to feel inferior in this collection of uh, worlds that we fly around in. Yeah, we'll just ignore those big gassy things. Yeah. We move on to the trivia contest where I asked you, what video game popular in the 1980s owes its name to William Herschel? How do we do, Matt? There was not a huge response. In fact, we only got maybe a third of the normal number of entries for this Ooh. one. I was surprised. I thought that, you know, this would be a, a pretty popular one. Interestingly, and this is maybe a first, Dave Fairchild, our poet laureate, doesn't always prepare a poem, but with this one, he didn't have the answer. He said, I have nothing. Bruce has beaten the poet laureate. Yes, it has been so long. I may now turn in my microphone. No, just kidding. Don't worry, Laura. I'm staying around. Matthew Atzenhofer in California. Not the winner. I'm sorry, Matthew. He said, why, it's my favorite game from the 1980s. There was one at the po'boy stand across the street from my family-owned <laughs> service station where I worked as a kid. And now I'm homesick and hungry. What's he talking about, Bruce? What video game? Asteroids. Yes. Of course, you can still find even online. <laughs> now they can just shove it into a web browser. William Herschel is usually given credit for uh, coining the term asteroid to describe Ceres when they gave up on it being a planet. Yes, asteroid or asteroids was the uh, term that we were looking for, that Bruce was looking for. Here's the winner. I don't actually have a name. All I have is BP. That's what he or she entered with. BP in Oklahoma, congratulations. Uh, the response, add asteroids. I, I couldn't have said it better. Thank you, BP. And you are going to be getting one. A Planetary Society kick asteroid, rubber asteroid of your very own that you can characterize and track. That's going to be the prize next time as well, Bruce, since we just finished talking to those two leaders of the Planetary Defense Coordination Office. Another rubber asteroid for the winner of uh, the contest that Bruce is going to introduce right now. What former JPL director or directors have won the U.S. National Medal of Science? A very prestigious award. Go to planetary.org slash radio contest. Come on, folks, this ought to be fairly easy to Google, right? Or Bing or DuckDuckGo. You have until <laughs> the 9th, you have until November 9th, Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific time, November 9th. Get the chance to win yourself one of those fabled rubber asteroids. 
Alta Vista. Yahoo! Yahoo! <laughs> All right, everybody, go out there, look up the night sky, and think about how uh, we would say asteroid if Scooby-Doo had recommended the word. Thank you, and good night. I'll bite. Lay it on us. We're asteroid! <laughs> Thank you, Scooby. He's Bruce Betts, and sometimes Scooby the chief scientist of the Planetary Society who joins us every week for What's Up. I love you, Matthew. Down, boy. Join me again next week for a Sagan Day conversation with Andrewian. Planetary Radio is produced by the Planetary Society in Pasadena, California. It is made possible by its members who are defenders of Earth. Marco Verde and Ray Paletta are our associate producers. Josh Doyle composed our theme which is arranged and performed by Peter Schlosser at Astro. Astro.